All right, this is our last week of Like a Good Neighbor. Next week, we're going to start a new series, a new series called You Make Me Brave. You Make Me Brave. Uh, we're going to look at some kind of some difficult uh, subjects. Uh, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be brave in, in the fa- in, while you're facing doubt. What does it look like to doubt and to be brave in that doubt and to be okay that you may have some doubt? We're going to look at how we handle conflict with people. Uh, dealing with conflict, I have uh, a lady who's going to teach who's been a part of Trinity for a while. Uh, she is a brilliant, brilliant person. And so she's going to teach on this subject in two weeks. I would highly encourage you to be here and bring as many people as possible. This is going to be a great opportunity for us to hear from someone who is highly educated in this field of study. Uh, she travels the world helping people deal with conflict. And so she's a part of Trinity. She's been a part of us for about a year. And so she'll be teaching on that in two weeks. And she's not here right now, so you don't have to look around and try and figure out who it is. Uh, so I can, I can talk about it. Uh, but here, let's, uh, let's recap really, really quick. We're going to try and keep this a little shorter since we have all our, our little ones. Uh, but I want to make sure we recap. Uh, we looked at week one and we said, okay, what, what is it that's most important? Someone comes to Jesus and says, out of all the laws, what's the most important thing that we should be doing? And hopefully you know this by now. The first is to love God. That's first. And then to love our neighbor as ourselves. He actually says the second one hinges on the first. That that if you're able to love God with your heart and your soul and your mind, then you will be able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so if we look at those being the two greatest commandments, we could also step back and say, look, those might be the two greatest sins. To, To not love God and to not love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so we've looked at this and we said, okay, this is really important and that Jesus really meant this. He really meant it. It's just not something we should talk about. It's not something that we put on a bumper sticker, but he really meant that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We should care for our neighbors as ourselves. We should care that they're as happy as we are, that they have the needs that we have, that that we should actually love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And then I ask you to, to know your neighbors. I gave you the chart. And so I have kids in here today. And so uh, kids are great at pressuring their parents. And so kids, I want you to go home today and ask your parents or grandparents or whoever you're with if they know their neighbors, if they know the names of their neighbors. All right, parents, so get ready uh, because you may have to walk across the street or across the yard or next door and find out some neighbors because this is a serious command. We cannot love our neighbors until we know who our neighbors are. And so let's start just by knowing some names. And then week two, I said, look, if we're going to really love our neighbor, uh, we're going to have to push away some busyness. We're going to have to choose a better way, and we're not going to be able to allow time to get in the way of us loving our neighbor. That it might be saying no to some good things so we can say yes to some better things. I had an invitation to be a part of a, kind of a panel or a board for Boy Scouts, and, and Boy Scouts is great, and they have a huge impact, and I said yes, and then I started preparing and I, for, for that week, and I, I had to go back and say, look, I, I have to say no. I have to say no because I want to say yes to some better things. Not, not that it's bad, and, and there was another opportunity I was, I was saying yes to, and I had to step back and say, look, i got to say no to that because I want to be able to say no or say yes to some better things. And so you and I, we have to make some decisions. We have to make some choices, and we have to choose a better way. And then the third week I said, look, there's three, F, there's three words that begin with F uh, that we have to look at if we're going to be a good neighbor, and we have to fight fear. I've had conversations with people in the last couple of weeks, and they talk about how they're afraid of their neighbor. And, and some of those might be legit fears, and so you have to be wise and discerning, but some of it's just the unknown. Some of it's the assumptions you're making or the judgments you're making, and so we have to fight against fear if we're going to be good neighbors. 
And then I said, for some of you, you're going to have to begin to forgive your neighbor. There's been this wall that's been built up between you and a neighbor, and, and someone's going to have to break through that wall and, and offer forgiveness and ask for forgiveness. And so we're, we're going to have to do that. And, and then I said, we're going to have to be faithful. So this isn't a quick fix. This isn't something that's just going to happen overnight to create this neighboring movement where we love our neighbors well, and then a week into it, everyone's best friends, and everyone's inviting everyone over to each other's houses. But this is something you're going to have to commit to, to be faithful. And then last week, I have to tell you, I've never been so encouraged as a pastor as I was after this last week. Person after person, idea after idea that people are having. And that they're saying, I'm, I'm going to take my gifting, I'm going to take my talents, and, and I'm going to do something with it. I had meetings last week already about what people are wanting to do, and I have meetings set up for this week. And here's the great thing. They're not asking anything from me. Listen, 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 listen. This is important. You're the church. You have the power and you have the ability to make a difference in our community. It doesn't have to come from someone who stands up here or who has the title of a pastor. The best thing you can do when you see a need is to ask yourself, do I have the ability to help this person to meet this need? And not to first look for someone else to do it. We looked at the feeding of the 5,000 and, and Jesus gives this command, you do it. You see people are hungry, you see this great need, you do something about it. And that's the call for you and that's the call for me. When we see these needs, we have to figure out what am I going to do about it. And so I'm excited for what's going to happen in the, the weeks and the months. And, and be aware because some of those people who are coming up with things uh, may be asking you to partner with them as they take on some huge challenges. And this week we're going to look at this question, why? Why? Well, why are we going to do this? Is it going to be just simply because Jesus says to do it? Like, that's really important, but, but is there something more? Is there something that should motivate us more than Jesus just simply saying, love, you neighbor, labor, love your neighbor as you love yourself? So we want to ask why. And we have our kids in here. Kids are great at asking why, right? If you have little ones, just wait till they can start talking, and everything you tell them to do, they're going to ask why. Why? Why? And so, so we have to begin to ask ourselves, well, why? What's my motivation to love my Neighbor, it's got to be greater than me telling you or even just simply Jesus saying that, that there's more to it. There's more to loving our neighbor. I'm coaching soccer right now. I'm coaching my daughter's uh, team. And then I'm coaching my son's team who is playing U6. So I have nine five-year-old boys <laughs> playing soccer, kind of, um, but by myself. No, no, other, no other coach. And so at practice, they pretty much run practice. I just corral. It's like herding cats, I told someone. Um, but, but we're working on it. Well, we had our first game Friday, and we won four to one, and it was awesome. Um, yesterday, we got killed, like destroyed. And I had this little boy who kept asking me the score. He kept asking me the score. And it was close to the end of the game, and, and this little boy comes up to me. And he's like, coach, coach, is it eight to nothing? Have they scored eight goals? And I'm like, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. He's like, no, coach, I, have they scored eight goals? Are they winning eight to nothing? I'm like, buddy, I lost count, uh, like at six, all right? <laughs> I don't know. But this is what I said. This is what I said. Does it matter? Does it matter? If they've scored eight, are you now going to play different than you were? Is this going to be what motivates you? But this is what I said. I said, are you having fun? Yeah? Okay, then let that motivate you. Are you doing your best? Yeah. Okay, let that motivate you. We, we have to understand what is motivating us to love our neighbors well. We're going to look at a passage. Uh, it's written by a guy named John. So it's First John. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one around you. We'd love for you to take that. That's our gift to you. 
Uh, you can open that. There'll be a page number, page uh, 1209 in that red Bible. So kids, if you want to follow along, you can look through those red Bibles and find that page number. John was one of the disciples of Jesus, the one who called himself dearly loved. So this is a real person who experienced really following Jesus and then wrote this real letter called 1 John uh, 4, 7 through 12. I'm going to read it and then I'll I'll go back and, and continue to teach on it. 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Okay, so we're going to break this down. Uh, Cammie, we'll go back to the, the slide before. Dear friends, let us love one another. Uh, you'll see this phrase in the scriptures a lot. A pastor named Andy Stanley uh, in Atlanta, he talks a lot about how followers of Jesus should one another, one another. One another, one another. And so if you look through the scriptures, Jesus talked about this. Paul, who wrote a lot of the Bible, talks about it. John talks about it. So we should bear with one another. That we should forgive one another. That we should love one another. That we should encourage one another that we should serve so there's all these one anothering that takes place and so john is it saying anything new john's not coming up with a new idea uh, jesus does this and we, and we looked at this uh, a few weeks ago that jesus is the one who tells his disciples look i'm going to give you this new command and this word new meant unique or unusual that you are really going to go out and you're going to love one another this is the most important thing that you should do as followers of Jesus. And John says that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you're here today and you would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I know not everyone is. I know there's a lot of you here who are questioning. And I'm just happy that you're here. This is a place where you can come and you can investigate. And we're going to talk about doubt next week. And this is a place you can come and belong. But if you're here and you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, then then this isn't an option. That the John says that love comes from God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, then you should love one another. Like, like it's just an expectation. It's like John saying it, but in the back of his mind, thinking they, they should already know this. They should know this. That, that we as followers of Jesus should one another, one another. That we should love one another. Now, when Jesus gives this example, he wasn't telling his disciples to go out and just tolerate people. He he wasn't going up and just saying to put up with people. He wasn't saying just to isolate, and if you have to come in contact, well, then be loving. No, that's not the context that Jesus is saying. Jesus is going to send his disciples out and say, go and love one another. And so for us, as we think of neighboring, being a good neighbor isn't just tolerating the people who are around you. 
It's not just simply a wave as you pull into your garage, but it's, it's knowing them, but it's really, really loving them. But what does that look like? We'll, we'll get there in, in just a few, a few scriptures. Verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, this is an amazing statement to me, and I don't think he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're unable to love someone. So, so if you're here and you say, look, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I love, I love my family, I love people, you do. But the, the, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here is much more than just the loving people who love us. Yeah. It's much more than just getting along with the people that, are, that we get along with and loving them and being okay with them. But, but this is a greater love. This is an overarching love that would say, you love all people. That the people who don't agree with you, the people who choose to live a different lifestyle than you, people from a different culture and a different race and a different political stance. This is, this is everyone. Now, that is not normal. That isn't just necessarily something that happens in culture. And, and so what we have to understand is that, that God is love. And when that says that, that is the essence of who God is. That everything is defined by God's love. Now, this is difficult for us. This is difficult for us because our love for people and things is so much based on the other person. If, if someone loves us, we love in return. When someone serves us, we serve in return. And so when, when I do weddings, we talk through this and a couple makes a vow to how they're going to one another one another, how they're going to love one another. And I always say this, what, the pledge and the, the vow you're taking today has nothing to do with the other person. We base love on contracts. You know contracts. We, we understand that. We can get out of a contract if the person doesn't do what they're supposed to do. But, but, but what if love was looked at as a covenant, that it didn't matter what you did, I'm going to choose to love you. And why? Because it says this is who God is, that God is Love. So we usually choose to love the things that interest us or those things that, that love us in return. So I love my family. I really love Thai food. Uh, I love the Oklahoma Sooners. Like, like we choose to love these things, right? And we all do that. But there's something much deeper that, that John is getting after here when he talks about one anothering one another, to love our neighbor. And he's going to lay out what this love looks like, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how he displays love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, there's a lot to that. There's a few words maybe you don't know. I'm going to pull those out. But uh, you and I display love um, to the people around us in lots of different ways. Lots of different ways. Maybe it's words of encouragement. Maybe it's gifts. Uh, I, I know guys specifically, when you were dating a girl and you're trying to win a girl over, you would do all kinds of things to win her over. People love differently. And the way you display love is different than maybe the person next to you. You show your kids love different ways. But, but John is saying, if you want to know what real love looks like, it's defined by Jesus coming. This is how God showed his love for you and for me. 
John, who writes this, also writes one of the Gospels, the, the story of Jesus. And uh, there's a, a paraphrase called The Message, uh, written by a guy named Eugene Peterson, who was working with kind of a, just an average, uneducated person who had trouble reading the Bible. So he rewrote the whole Bible, didn't change the meaning, but put it in a street language. And John 1.14 says this. I love the way he, he says this. It says, the word, which means Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. That this is love, that God didn't stay removed. He wasn't off in the distance. He didn't create you and me and step away and say good luck, but he sends his son in flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood. And so God becomes present with all people, with all people. He didn't come just for a certain group of people, that, that he came for all people. And he came for all people to be an atoning sacrifice. Now, this is one of those churchy words. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you've heard people talk about it, but you don't know what it means. Uh, or, or you've heard, if you, if you kind of go way back in church, you've heard the word propitiation. Uh, but this just means to appease or to pay for or to make right. So it would be the picture of your child getting in trouble. A ticket, arrested, and, and, and let's think of it in the mindset of a father, of a father going and saying, look, I know my son was wrong. He was completely in the wrong. He was speeding. He was doing what he wasn't supposed to do, and I know he's in trouble, but I'll pay for it. Let, let him go free. I'll pay for it. I will atone for his wrong. So this is what God sends Jesus to do for you and for me, to atone for our wrongs, to make right everything that you have done wrong, everything you are right now doing wrong, and everything that you will do wrong. That, that God sent Jesus to pay for that. And he didn't just come for the lovable. He, he doesn't come for the good enough. He, he doesn't come, I don't believe he, he comes and dies for those who will eventually believe. He comes for you. He comes for the broken, dirty, messed up people. He doesn't come for a future version of you. He doesn't come thinking that one day they'll get it all together and so I'll go ahead and, and give my life for them. He comes for you now where you are. He came for you where you were. This is so important because this is what love looks like. So when, when John says that we're supposed to love one another and then he defines it this way, it means that we're not just supposed to love those people that we get along with. It's not just to love the neighbor that does what they're supposed to. It really means that we're supposed to love in a way that paints a picture of this kind of love that Jesus gives. Paul in Romans says this. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is probably a common scripture a lot of you maybe have heard, and some of you haven't, but, but this is one of the scriptures. Let that sink in. That while you were still sinners, while you were yet sinning, Christ died for you. Christ died for you. Not, not a new, better version of, of you. God loves you. And he didn't do this in response to our love for him. It wasn't that we all of a sudden started loving God and so God's like, okay, he loves me. Okay, I'll love in return. 
No, he's painting a different kind of love, a different picture of love, a love that is not based on contract, but a love that he has for you and I. And so for some of you, maybe today's the day where you take that step. Maybe you've never really believed that. Maybe you've never really heard that, that, that God loves you. He loves you exactly how you are. And we often say, you know, he, he loves you too much to keep you where you are. But right now, he loves you where you are. And he sent his son to die for you, to pay the price, to take the punishment on himself so that you may have life. Now, some of you have made that decision, but you've never taken that next step to be baptized. You've never taken the next step to be baptized. And on the other end of our building, we have a, a, a little pool that we baptize people in. And here in a couple weeks, we're going to baptize a, a fifth grade girl um, who made this decision over summer camp to follow Jesus. And so we're going to baptize her. And I think it would be really cool if some of you would say, you know what, I've been following Jesus. I've never been baptized. Some of you maybe were baptized as a little baby and, and you didn't make that choice and maybe you walked away and it's not that you have to be baptized again, but maybe there's this declaration you want to make and say, look, I understand what God has done for me and I want to publicly confess that I follow Jesus. September 13th is that opportunity. Some of you maybe for the first time to accept that love for yourself, not your parents, not that you just, yeah, I'm at church every week, but, but really to believe that God loves you and has paid the price for you. Maybe you would accept that even today. If you do, come talk to me afterwards. If you have questions, come talk to me. But that's between you and the Father to say, God, I, I want that kind of, of love. Now John goes on, verse 11. And he kind of repeats himself, but he says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now here's our motivation. Here's our motivation. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love our neighbors because God loved us. We're compassionate to our neighbors because God has been compassionate to us. We are kind to our neighbors because God has been so kind to us. We forgive our neighbors because God has forgiven us. That is our motivation. That when you fully understand the forgiveness that you've received, then we want other people to experience that as well. When we experience this deep love that doesn't depend on you, then we want to give that love away as well. That that should be our motivation. Now, now hear me, especially if you've grown up in church. Loving our neighbor, this is not an evangelistic plan. Now, now listen to me. This is not a, a program. This is not a project. We don't love only because we hope that one day they'll follow Jesus. Because I, I hope, I hope if your neighbor disagrees with you or has a different faith tradition and they may never believe what you believe, that you'll still love them well. That you will still love them. So this is not an evangelistic strategy. We love because we've been loved. We love because we've been loved. And we've said this, and I say this a lot. People are not projects. Your neighbor is not a project that you're taking on. They're people. They're people who have been made in the image of God. They're people who have been loved by God. This should be our motivation to love our neighbors well. Because I promise, if they ever get the sense that they're a project, they will push you away. You do, Right? If you ever feel like someone's doing something because there's strings attached or there's going to be this ask later, we, 
We feel used. We don't feel loved. Uh, I was with a group of students uh, in another city, and we were serving the poor, and we made two sack lunches. We made one for ourselves, and we made one we were going to deliver to someone living on the street, someone who was hungry. And so we went out, and we're delivering sack lunches, and there was an on-the-street preacher. And he saw what we were doing, and so he came over to me and to our group, and he begins to preach at us. And so I kind of kindly interrupted him, and I was like, oh, that's it's great what you're doing. Uh, we're out serving the poor right now. Uh, I'm a pastor, and, and so I, I appreciate that, but we're good. We're, we're going to continue serving. And it's like I didn't say anything. It's like I had no words come out of my mouth. He just kept going. He just kept going. I said, no, no, no I, don't, I don't think you understand. I don't think you hear me. In that moment, I just felt used. I, I'm sure our students felt used. They didn't feel loved. That the people who live around you are not a project. They're people. They're, they're people who desire to be loved and shown compassion and kindness. And so don't take this on as a project. Don't take this on that, that people are these projects. Uh, there's a guy named Eric Swanson who wrote To Transform a City. Uh, he talks about it in this way, that there's a difference in ulterior motives and ultimate motives. Whenever you know someone has an ulterior motive, you, you can feel it. You can sense it. And so they say ulterior motives means that something is intentionally kept a secret or concealed. Usually manipulation takes place. What we say in private is often different than what we say in public. So it's hurtful for someone to find out. It's hurtful for someone to find out that you had an ulterior motive. But what about an ultimate motive? What if your ultimate motive means that the farthest part of the journey that at some point, hopefully down the road somewhere, they begin to get a sense of what you believe. That because of your great love for them, they're going to take a step back and say, well, who are you? Why do you love me this way? And you're looking for every opportunity to share your story and your hope and the love that you have, but that is an ultimate motive, not an ulterior motive. You're not friends just to hopefully one day share the gospel. You are friends and you love them because God has loved you. And if done right, if done right, I believe people will begin to follow Jesus. If done right, I think people will begin to acknowledge who God is. If done right. Uh, Finally, this is what I believe is gold uh, that will put everything into perspective for us and will kind of uh, lead us out of this series. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but, but, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is, this is, this is, this is gold. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen the presence of God the Father. Like even in the Old Testament, like when they caught a glimpse of God, it was too much. Like, no one has seen God. He sends Jesus, and so we get a glimpse of who God the Father is because he is in his Son, but but Jesus leaves. Jesus leaves. He lives this perfect life. He is persecuted. He is uh, brutally beat and goes to a cross, and he dies. He comes back three days. He goes to his disciples, and he says, you now go and make disciples. You go make other people who follow Jesus. I'm leaving Jesus leaves, and he leaves it to these disciples. And he leaves it to the disciples. He says, look, my spirit is going to come, and my spirit is going to dwell in you. He actually at one point says, look, you're going to do way bigger things, way better things than I've ever done. 
He leaves it to his people. It is this mandate for followers of Jesus that we will be disciples who make disciples. And the way that this happens is because God is in you. The presence of God is in you. He's in you. And when you love your neighbor well, when you love people well, John says that God's love is made complete. Think about that. If John is saying it's made complete in us when we do that, did you get the sense that it's incomplete in ways? Right? That, that God's love is there and available for everyone, but, but its completeness takes, uh, it, it takes shape and form when you love people. When you love people. This is what God has put on you and on me. This is important. And so I, I've been trying to think of this way. How do we, how do we, how do we picture this? How do we picture this invisible God that takes shape in us? That without it, you can't see it. Billy Graham often talks about it being like the wind. Have you ever seen the wind? Never seen the wind, but you see the effects of the wind, right? So then I thought balloons. And you might have walked in thinking, why are there balloons on the houses? But look, we all know what a balloon looks like without helium, right? But when helium fills fills the <laughs> fills the space of a balloon, it takes shape. Yeah. Its purpose is made complete. Yeah. That you have no doubt that there's something in this. Mm-hmm. If I was the poppet, you wouldn't see it. But but it's the helium that gives the balloon its shape. It's for you and I. You you want to be on purpose? You you want to live a life of of purpose? Then you understand that you are made complete by God's spirit being in you. And that's what I love. It goes with you. God's presence goes everywhere that you go. So in your house, in your neighborhood, maybe, maybe you're the only one. Maybe you're the only one that you feel like the presence of, of God dwells in your house. That's okay. Because everyone around you is going to see it. His love is going to be made complete by you loving one another. And then you know what happens? When you walk out of the house, this goes with you. Look, this isn't something that we, that we leave here in the, the church building. We come every week and we pick it up and we sing and we worship and we hear and then we leave it. This goes with you. So, so the presence of God is with you when you go to school. When you're at the locker and the person next to you, you know, their parents are going through a divorce or they feel insecure, they feel lonely. You, the presence of God is in you. When you're at work, some of you in your marriage, the, the presence of God is in you. This is what motivates us to love our neighbor well because we know when we go and we walk across the street and they're not a project, but I, I love them well, I know I'm taking the presence of God with me. And if I do it right, then people are going to wonder, why do you love me? Why do you care for me? Why do you, why do you serve me? Why do you cut my grass? Why do you bring me meals when we're sick? Why, why do you do this? Well, God so loved me. God so loved me that my response is to love other people well. In World War II, uh, there was a statue in a London church uh, that was bombed by the Nazis. And uh, when they went back to rebuild this church, uh, the statue had basically 
almost all been destroyed. They pieced it back together and they, they stood it up. And when they, when they found the arms, they were pulverized. There was nothing left to the arms. There was nothing left to the hands. And so they thought, well, we could rebuild it. And before the bombing, uh, there was a, a plaque that said this, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus says this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. The church decided not to replace the arms. They decided to leave the statue standing with the arms broken off. And it now reads this. Christ has no hands but your hands. And Christ has no arms but our arms. Christ has no hands but your hands. And Christ has no arms but our arms. And I'll add, here on earth. Jesus is fully complete and whole in heaven. But here on earth, you are his hands. You are his arms. You are the one who has an opportunity to make his love complete. He dwells in you takes form in you that you carry it everywhere you go. You join with me? You join with me in this neighboring movement of loving our neighbors well? To know that houses all over our community have people who are doing this. What if? What if? Did you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for this call you've put on my life. Um, the call you've put on every one of our lives um, to respond to the call to love one another. God, we don't want this to be a project. We don't want this to be a program. Uh, we want this, Lord, to um, become who we are. That just everywhere we go, Lord, we know that you are with us, that we carry your spirit with us. Guys, I know as you say in the scriptures that we are temples of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us this week as we go into our neighborhood, as we have conversations to understand and be motivated by your love and your love alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope to see you next week as we kick off our Brave series. This is going to be a great series to bring someone with you. Have a great week. Love you guys. Hey, hey, hey.